Hi, this is John Porteous of the Lovells Township Historical Society, and you're listening to the Backcast Podcast. This week, Glenn and I are joined by Dave McCool. Dave is a uh, guide uh, bringing about 20 years of experience uh, with him, and uh, beyond uh, traditional trout angling, uh, Dave has kind of pioneered uh, an interesting uh, species hunt over in the uh, Grand Traverse Bay area, so we'll look forward to hearing about that. So sit back, relax, enjoy. Here we go. Well, folks, uh, I'd like to welcome our guests from the outside who are listening to these uh, podcasts, and uh, uh, we're with, uh, I'm Glenn Eberly with the uh, uh, Lovells Township Historical Society, and with me is John Porteous, uh, our tech guru and the brains behind these uh, Backcast podcasts. It was John's idea since we could not have a uh, exhibit open to the public this year because of the virus uh, that we did want to uh, share some history with our, our many followers. And it was John's idea to come up with uh, Backcast podcasts. Um, and our theme this year was River Guides and Their Stories. And what better way to do it than to share the stories with you folks today on a podcast. Uh, today we have uh, Dave McCool with us, a uh, renowned river guide um, for, for both trout and another fish that we'll learn about. Uh, Dave is based in uh, the Traverse City area and does the Osabo Manistee and, and others. Uh, Dave, welcome to uh, Backcast Podcast. Well, thank you for having me delight to have you um and uh we we like to start off with uh um maybe just a basic question how in the world did you get involved and started in uh fly fishing well i got a i guess it's genetic i've got my great grandfather on my mother's side <clears throat> was part of the first fly fishing club in, in northern michigan and was called the shack and there have wow. been several books written about it um very interesting history back around the turn of the century. So, you know, I've always had an interest in it. Like I said, I think it comes naturally. Um, you know, did did quite a bit of it with my grandfather growing up. <clears throat> um, then kind of got away from me, you know, go, went through college and all that stuff. And then I, I reconnected and started fishing again with a friend. And then I just was totally consumed by it and um, absolutely consumed by it. And then I became a, a certified instructor um, and then I was asked to open the 10th Orvis Corporate School in the country as director of instruction. So I've done a lot of teaching, and it's my 20th year uh, at the North Branch Outing Club in Lovells, Michigan. So wow. we do te- we do the teaching, we do you know the fishing, all of it. So it's it's uh, for me it's a I love to share the sport, the passion. Uh, the North Branch Outing Club in uh, in Lovells is a special place, uh, and John, you 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 know the folks there too, and. Uh, Judy Fuller uh, has been running it since Daryl passed away, and I think there's a, a great connection between uh, Dave McCool and uh, and Judy Fuller from a standpoint of uh, uh, business association and uh, kind of almost a mentoring with uh, with Judy. Um, I sat in on a birthday party and was amazed at the stories. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, uh, Dave. How did you get involved with the North Branch Outing Club? Well, <clears throat> years ago. Um... The Fullers bought this thing I, it was 25 years ago, and um, I was introduced to their son, Todd Fuller, who was living in Traverse City at the, the time, and mutual friend. 
we both love the guide and we you know both have a passion for fly fishing and he said why don't you come over and, and see the lodge and this was over 20 years ago mm-hmm. and we connected and started running longboats and started guiding and um that's basically how it happened i got to know the family and i'm kind of part of the family now and um, sure. it's, been, it's been wonderful it's been wonderful oh it's great that's a special place uh, and, and a, being a historical society uh, we're just delighted to have that uh, wonderful old lodge in Lovells. Want to be Absolutely. sure that's steeped in history, uh, a guest register that reads like a veritable who's who. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Hemingway, Ford, you know, the Dodge brothers, you know, all Rockefeller, just amazing the people that uh, fly fish and bird hunted there. That's for sure. And there's there was one date, I think it was... Uh, uh, May of 1938, I want to say, where uh, there were five people registered. One was, uh, 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 let's see, it was uh, John D. Rockefeller Jr., Alfred P. Sloan, Walter P. Chrysler, um, Edsel Ford, and of all things, John L. Lewis, the labor leader. Uh, it was quite a pairing. We have no idea what they were talking about. Some people thought it was maybe preparation for labor helping industry during World War II, but that had been debunked by the fellow that wrote the uh, Arsenal of Democracy. He said, no, they weren't even thinking about the war at that time. But terrific history. And uh, let's go in a little more of your history, Dave. Um, uh, guiding. Uh, we, we love stories about guiding. And I, as I, I've told, uh, this, these sessions are kind of like uh, sitting around a potbelly stove in Vermont in a general store, uh, just sharing stories, and and uh, most of them are true, we hope. <laughs> uh, but uh, we'd, we'd love to hear some stories about your kite <laughs> experience. <laughs> well, maybe should I start with the uh, with the golden bonefish? Okay, that's that'd be a good start. There you go. Okay. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is this started back in 2001. I was just certified as an instructor and. My mentor, Bruce Richards, and many of you know Bruce in the fly fishing industry. Um, oh, boy. Uh, he, he's a, he was my mentor in, in ca- casting and learning to, to teach and so on. And he said to me, after I was certified, he goes, have you been out for those carp with your fly rod? I'm like, no. I, last time I did anything with a carp, I think I threw a spear at it. And <laughs> he's like, you need, to, you, need to go, you need to go out and, and check this out. Well, I kind of figured that, you know, I, I was certified, and I thought the next day I'd just go, just on my own, out to out to a certain spot um, that I thought might work. This literally was walked Traverse out. Bay. Yeah, Grand Traverse yep. Bay, out yep. near Old Mission, and I literally walked in the water. Had this inkling something was about to happen, and I came across probably over a hundred fish. And first cast, I hooked one immediately, and it ran out well over a hundred yards of line, and then snapped me off around a rock. I mean, my reel was just screaming. I thought to myself, Why is nobody doing this? You know, there's not a soul out here. So I've got a bit of a media background and some connections. And um, we decided, myself and a good friend of mine decided, we'd rebrand the fish. Instead of calling it a carp, we'll call it a golden bonefish. Because, um, as we all know, people fish for bonefish all over the world and spend millions and millions of dollars traveling in pursuit of them. Well, this carp does everything a bonefish does, except they're, they're bigger. And they're very, very powerful and very strong. They feed very similarly. Um, mm-hmm. so we called, we rebranded it called the golden bonefish and sure enough, um, with a little bit of a network 
in place. Uh, we got a third page in the New York Times international edition. So I, I knew that if, if I got was able to get it in, in the Times, that I could leverage that into, well, I had John Merwin, Merwin from Field and Stream here, Fly Rod and Reel, I mean, Detroit News, you name it, um, published in England for it. And sure enough, uh, slowly but surely, um, we started to develop a fishery. And now people chase them all over the Great Lakes. So it's been a it's been a fun ride. I've met a lot of really interesting people. Um, kind of crazy. I tried to trademark Golden Bonefish, and the Yes Patent Office turned me down tw- twice. But you'll oh. see now you'll see it referred to in the new, you know, Orvis Tom Rosenbauer book on fly fishing for carp and all of it. So that's basically how I I got the the Golden Bonefish launch in a nutshell. Um, one funny story that I'll share with you uh, while out chasing those, I had two clients in from Missouri, and um, one of my really good friends at the time was the commander of the Coast Guard over here in Traverse City, and I won't use his name. Uh, anyway, I started fishing with him, taking him out. I took him out. We caught a, a bunch of bonefish, and he said to me, he said, hey, Dave, is there anything I can do for you? I said, yeah, if you're up, because they're flying every day in helicopters, I said, if you could spot the the schools of fish because you can see them easily and then just give me some gps coordinates that would be awesome um long story short i started getting phone calls from there's a school here there's a school there and the next day i had a trip with these clients from missouri and i was talking to my friend and he said well what time are you going to be out i said probably about noon a little bit after and he's like well he goes put your do you, do you have a radio that you can talk from i'm like yeah i got one he goes we'll put it on channel 13 i'm like okay he goes, I'll be up. I'll be up about noon. So I didn't said a word to my clients. We walked down to the beach, and I can hear the chopper coming up, coming up the bay, and uh, <clears throat> literally coming up the bay. And I'm like, this is going to be amazing. And we were on a big oh. flat. So <clears throat> this, the commander flew out over us low, turned and started talking to me about where the where the schools of fish were. So he'd go fly over them. So I could mark them visually. So I had schools of fish, and these two guys are standing here, you know, water blasting from the air from the from rotor blades. Uh, they're standing there just looking at this, going, "Are you kidding me?" And uh, Lance flew back over his last pass. He said, "Do you need anything else? You need anything else?" And I said, "No, that'll do it for today. I appreciate it." And um, they took off. And this guy looks at me. He goes, "You got the Coast Guard involved in this?" And they are, they, they are an invasive species. They are an invasive species. So, um, so we had multiple. Oh, that's classic. Yeah. So that was uh, that was kind of where that started. And there was an awful lot of uh, when I first started, I was told by the local over shop and the others, don't even talk about carpet here. We don't even want to hear about it. And, oh, really? Um, yeah. Don't even. Don't even tie our brand with it, and now everybody's fishing for them. So everybody's been, kind of, oh, Dave, oh, what a funny. great story! I, I actually have a nephew who is a uh, just became a commander for the Coast Guard in Alaska. Uh, oh, nice! And, uh, he, he grew up on Cape Cod. He's he's a fisherman, and I can't wait to to share that uh, story with him. We're not going to get <laughs> your commander friend in trouble, am I? If I uh, share it? No, no, no. It's been, it's been. I'm sure there's a statute of limitations. It's been long enough now. Where I'm okay, saying. okay. I don't want to get in trouble. What a great no. story, John. That was neat, wasn't it? That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, we, we've had some, we've had some interesting times. Now, what about flies for the bone for for the golden bones? Sure. Um, it depends on the time of year. We basically start fishing them uh, in the first part of May, 
and the fish come up off the drop and they're looking for warmer water to kick their, kick their metabolisms in. And so they'll start by looking for nymphs and small aquatic insects, things like that. They go through silt beds um, and they'll sift through that, picking up, you know, Pactogenium nymphs and, and, you know, dead minnows from that winter and all that good stuff. And then mm-hmm. once we get past about 52 to 55 degrees, they start to warm up and the rusty crayfish, which is their primary forage, comes up mm-hmm. um, off the drop and they come in shallow. You'll see them. And that's, that's when it's really fun. So we use a lot of crayfish patterns, nymph patterns, articulated um, minnows work really well. So kind of, kind of fun. They're, they're opportunistic. They just, they'll eat just about anything. Sure. In front of them. And, and yeah. that rusty crayfish is an invasive species also, isn't it? Yes, it is. So these guys are vacuuming them up and um, it's kind of funny. Um, I used to fish the Manitou Islands quite a bit. And out there, the smallmouth fishery, you know, it's obviously at the same time the carp are in, you know, the bonefish are in. And it was fun to watch. I would be on these big rock banks um, off the Manitou, standing on the front of my, my boat looking down. And it's really interesting to see the relationship between the bass, smallmouth bass, and the carp because the carp use the smallmouth, um, excuse me, the, the bass use the carp as bird dogs. These carp don't huh. see very well, but they'll, they'll go into these rock these rocky areas and they flush crayfish out and the bass will sit right on top of the carp and they'll snap these crayfish up that the, that the carp don't get really interesting yeah, to watch interesting yeah so yeah. it's it's been fun it's been fun dad i, I gotta That's do that awesome. sometime with you dave now what kind of a boat you use you use a drift boat or yeah i used to basically what we do just just so we can cover a lot of ground is we go by vehicle and we go by by vehicle, and we basically um, will stop and get out and wade different areas, so you can cover a lot of ground in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So if the fish are in one area, um, you know, one day, uh, and you and they're there, you fish them, you catch them the next day, they're probably not going to be there. They'll be somebody somewhere else. So you've got to cover a lot of ground to get your clients into fish. And Dave, you're just basically knee deep in the flats along the shoreline. Yeah, knee deep, waist deep, you know. This with the water as high as it is, which has had an impact on our fishery. I mean, yeah, indeed, it's been tough. So, so you're not using a boat; you're just you're driving around and then getting out and waiting. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yep. That's how we do it. Now you put together a pretty good shore lunch for these guys. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, I like to do. It. I like to do it right. It's a premium experience, so we we tie that in with, you know, uh, farm to table. Uh, good, good fresh vegetables, good olive oil, good bread, kind of mm. a crudite thing. So sure. good olives, good meats, all that cheeses. So we do that and keep that fairly simple and keep moving. You don't want to feed people too much because if they if you feed them too much, um, they get tired easy and they can't cover the ground, <laughs> the ground that we need to cover sometimes. They'll need a big mid afternoon nap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What is a good average day uh, on the flats for for uh, golden bones? Not not the best, not when you got you know forty of them, but just uh, give us an idea of a, a typical fisherman coming out with uh, with Dave McCool for a day on the flats. The weather's good and the fish are there. Uh, what's normal? Well, I, I I'll say this uh, to start with before these. I have to tell you this. This is really interesting. Um, these are probably some of the sp- smartest fish that swim. Believe it or not. And really? we're the only country, yeah, and in, in, in we are the only country in the world that maligns them as trash fish. 
I mean, mm-hmm. if you look in, in, in Europe, I mean, you, you can kill a trout in Europe, but if you kill a carp, they're going to hang you. And, um, yep, it's, I know it's that's really true in Europe. Yeah. I mean, it's the Holy grail of all fish. So anyway, um, what were we, what were we just on? What, were, what was the question? Sorry, just shot out of my head. Oh, okay. <laughs> the question was, what is a, a typical day for, okay, for a, a, typical, a fisherman so, with a, you and, and on, on the flats? So a typical day, um, provided the water's not too high like it is right now, it's pretty easy to get four or five fish, uh, depending oh, right. on the time of year. I mean, the time of year, um, you don't want to catch them when they're spawning. You want to catch them before they spawn and after. Um, so you can have four to five. The best day ever had was right in the beginning and that happened to be with the coast guard pilot uh we did 17 in one day oh so my that was we hit it incredible just, yeah just amazing and oh my word these runs are just blistering you're in your backing so fast that you can't make your head spin so it's fun that's oh wild my God. That's yeah so, so quite quite a bit different from a uh, uh an english style bread fly pursuit of a carp completely different they the 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 uh the, the folks in the uk call our fish wildies um and that's the fascinating part is you know they're sitting on a pay lake over there basically a giant mud puddle they can't see and they're fishing these in these pay lakes and so the visual aspect of this uh of this fishery is very intriguing to them because they're not used to seeing fish and seeing feeding behaviors um so the visual aspect of it was was pretty interesting to, to the, the feedback and the reaction the other thing too is they consider the wildies to be uh, uh, uh pretty tough fish and they're very very athletic compared to fish that are in you know a, a warm pay lake somewhere so they're very clean they're very fast and they are gold in the spring they, they look yes. like a, a big piece of gold oh sure uh, have you had people from overseas come to fish with you yeah yep i've had people from all over I've had people from England. I've had people from Texas. I had a group come from Alaska. Um, yeah, we've we've had interesting that they would travel all the way here from from England. Sure, it's all from fish. Yeah. Well, I, I can vouch for the fact that they're a prize in in Europe. I've I've been over there and they've talked about them, and I keep thinking, what wow, you're talking carp, really? And uh, they say, <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's a choice fish for them. What, what do they run in weight? You said maybe four to five fish a day is is is, is typical. And are these uh, ten pounds, or what are they? What are they running? You can. I mean, we we'll uh, we'll fish. Ten pounds is probably you know probably right at the smaller size. The biggest fish I think that we've taken. I had a client took one that was forty two pounds. Um, oh. So you're typically you're looking at anywhere from fifteen to twenty twenty five pounds. Um, oh depending. God. Depending. Yeah. They they get to be uh, they get to be pretty good size. And everybody said for years that um, they wouldn't eat. You couldn't get them to eat. Well, I'm like, well, that can't be because these fish are growing to be, you know, 20, 30 pounds. They've got to be eating. Okay? It's, not, it's not just drinking water. So once we got it figured out and the feeding behavior figured out, then it was fun. But I will tell you, you cannot fish these fish in the same place two days in a row. Um, really? And, and, I've, and I've watched it, especially over the years. When we first started fishing, I could approach the fish very easily. And then um, as as the pressure grew and more and more people are around, I mean, if you stumble over a rock within 80 yards, 90 yards of these fish underwater, and it goes, you'll watch them start to move. They'll start to move out. So wow. I have people with waiting staff that are trying to go through 
you know, the, these areas and they're clinging, they're waiting stacks on uh, staffs on the rocks and it spooks the fish. They're gone. I mean, they, they will not eat either. They'll just, mm. they, they won't eat. So they just shut they're down. very, very intelligent, very intelligent fish. And they have a, the ability to, to hear is amazing. I don't know if hearing is the right word, but they have a thing called the Wilberian apparatus, which is the, basically it's a swim bladder, bladder that's connected to uh, their middle ear somehow. So they have a very, very strong, um, they have a very strong lateral line, and they also have this amazing ability to de- de- detect movement without seeing it. So I understand that um, I've been told and I've seen that these fish can hear a crayfish scuttling around on the bottom 90 feet away. And I've seen it. It's just crazy. So oh that's amazing. And yeah. that's to make up for their poor eyesight, obviously. Yes. So they have radar. Wow. What a story. Well, yeah. Dave, I, I expect that uh, from from this podcast, uh, you might we we don't run a commercial business here, but uh, I, I sense that uh, there's going to be some listeners that are going to want to contact you and uh, maybe hook up a, a bonefish trip, including me. <laughs> yes, there you go. There you go. I'd like well, to do indeed. it. Like, it, it this is I, all all new material for me as well, Dave. It's uh, fascinating. Yeah. Oh, well, I'd love to host you guys for a day. Oh, um, this would be great. Yep, it um, is. It's fun. Well, it's 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 it, 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 it's basically Caribbean style wading, fishing, wading the flats, but you don't have any sharks, you don't have any stingrays, you don't have any salt water. No barracudas. Um, yeah, but it's the visual aspect of it, the same as being in the Bahamas. Is the footing pretty good? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're I mean, not you can get into some areas that aren't much fun, but uh, for the most part, yeah. You, oh, you're not going to be bringing your midge for this one, Glenn. No, oh, apparently not. <laughs> you're going to have to have a, You're going to have to have an eight weight. So and, and uh, the rods are using are they, rods are nine weights or ten weights or what? eight weight eight weight rod, large arbor reel, plenty of backing. Going to have 200 yards of backing. I mean, I've literally had fish, yep, run this all the way out. Oh my. Uh, well, well, now, Dave, on the commercial side, how could how could somebody get a hold of you? What's the best way to to reach you? If well, you can go to, would like you to can, contact you, can, yeah, you can either you can either find me at the lodge at the North Branch Outing Club, or mm-hmm. you can go to McCool McCool M C C O O L McCoolOutdoor.com, and you can McCool you can email outdoors. me through that. McCool outdoor, outdoors, not outdoors. Com. No, not outdoors. Outdoor. Outdoor. McCoolOutdoor.com. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I, <laughs> this is a new wrinkle, John, isn't it? We, it is, in we fact. Keep, we keep thinking it, it we're, is, we're trout fishermen, and uh, really, we're just fishermen. I've con- I've converted a lot of trout people. I have. <laughs> people are like, "Are you kidding me?" No. Once you get them on a big fish and it takes off, you're gonna you're gonna see some smiles when people start. To, the conversion rate starts at that point, and you know, I, I've had. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun to watch. Oh, that's great. I I had one thought. You you, you talked about the media uh, tie-in that you got. Uh, you got an article in the New York Times. Uh, you, you mentioned you had some media background. Now, tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, after I got out of college, I I've got a. Where did you go to school? I went to Fair State University. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, it wouldn't be fair to give it all to Fair State. That between that and Michigan State, I got a bachelor's degree in in marketing, oh, and okay. I ended up ended up. Um, I ended up in Austin, Texas, working for a high-tech NASDAQ firm um, that was obviously a little publicly held company. And I did the um, investor relations, public relations, media relations work for that company. And mm-hmm. that was about six years of that. 
between here and Traverse City. So my, yeah, my, and, and I just have always had a, through that media network that you build over the years, you just, it's amazing uh, the folks you can reach. Sure. And so, so I've got that and I've done several startups um, and in the hunting industry, but my passion, I just keep coming back to this, this sport and the teaching of it. I just can't, I can't not do it. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so, so I, I absolutely live for it. Um, um, when, when you so say you, you've done a lot of teaching, uh, did you, did you ever teach with the TU fly fishing school? Yes, I've done uh, done the TU school. I did it for years and years in a row. I've also done the Trout Unlimited First Cast program with mm-hmm. uh, Tim Smith over here in Traverse City. Um, worked yep. a lot of kids' groups, reeling and healing, casting for recovery, um, all uh, those. So I've worked with uh, all those groups over the years. I can vouch for your interest in that. That's just a it's a great uh, experience to teach somebody to uh, to cast a fly and and watch the enjoyment and the pleasure that it it initiates in uh, in them. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful experience. It is, and I I love sharing. I've got an eight year old daughter, and she is uh, now she is is beginning to become hooked on this whole thing about fly fishing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's amazing when you start with young kids. Uh, she's eight, mm-hmm. and they don't have any preconceived notions about what's supposed to happen with the rod tip, where it travels in the casting stroke, all that right. stuff. And I, I so. I, I gave her the rod the first time and I talked to her and I mean, within five minutes, she was throwing 35 feet of line Isn't and that nice? it was perfect, super tight loops. And I was just amazed. So I really <laughs> enjoy working, working with our youth because they're our kids. future. I mean, if they're not connected to our resources, then they're not going to be of interest to them. And they're the one, they're not going to vote for them. No, uh, it's, it's a great, great way to get the kids involved. I've, I've done some of the uh, TU's uh, kid schools. Uh, helping out with uh, casting, and, and we we put them on a riverboat and let them float uh, towards the end of their their week of camp uh, with the TU groups, and uh, boy, they they're excited about it, and not just the fishing, but uh, uh, the the total environment of a river and what's going on. Uh, these kids are, are are in tune with things, and it's it's great to see them get involved and interested. So thanks for yeah, what you do in that regard. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so Dave, when you're when you're over in our neck of the woods, um, are are you pretty much um, on the Asable watershed? Are you? Uh, yeah, I my my home water. Well, I I fished the Boardman. Um, I've got property on the Boardman. I grew up on it. Fished the oh, Boardman, nice. Boardman, the Manistee, um, the North Branch is my home uh, home water. I love the North Branch, mm-hmm. uh, and and I'll fish the entire system. So. Personally, having fished the Boardman, uh, I, I'm kind of curious how how is uh, the evolution of the of the river coming uh, now that we've had a few years uh, since the uh, decommissioning of the Brown Bridge Dam. You mean the the instantaneous decommission? Yeah, precisely. <laughs> the class yeah. five rapid creating decommission of. <laughs> I, I will t- I will tell you, having grown up on the river there and spent all my youth there, um, it's never it's never been better. Um, we have had the New, New Zealand mud snail in there, which has wiped out our caddis. But now that that dam, Brownbridge Dam, is out, the water temp, the effluent side of the pond, the outgoing side, is five to seven degrees cooler than it was when oh the my. dam was in oh, place. Great. So we have oh. a lot of good cold oxygenated water. We have a lot of new gravel that we never had before. And we're taking some beautiful trout out of there. So oh, and, nice. the, and the most interesting thing for me has been 
because I do a lot of entomology with my schools because I do quite a few fly fishing schools, is I've never seen more stoneflies in any water system in my life. And we never used to, we barely, we almost never had stoneflies. And now we've got just scads of them. They're everywhere, big ones. So, um, and they're the yeah, canary the river's coming in the mine. Yeah. That, that's super exciting to hear. I was I I've, I haven't fished it uh, much lately, but um, we've been bringing the family up uh, to this area for uh, 30 years before Leslie and I moved up full time, and uh, that was always when we were in the Traverse City area. That was always one of my favorites was to just uh, go noodling around. There's just it, very beautiful waters over there. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. it is definitely, definitely you need to take care of it. But I'm sorry, Glenn. I didn't mean to sidetrack no, you no, from that, your question. That's okay. but I, oh. I, I, I love that river, and it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, the birth birthplace of the Adams Dry Fly. Absolutely, you got it, Glenn Halliday. Exactly. Glenn Halliday. Uh, that yep. down there in the. Uh, the mill pond there. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Dave, you, you know uh, Dave Dave Leonard, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, Dave gave us a picture of uh, one of the original Adams tied by Halliday, and uh, he also gave us a, a little postcard that had a poem on it. And apparently, Halliday's father-in-law was quite a poet, and uh, every every winter, late winter, probably March, sometime then. Uh, Halliday would print up a whole bunch of these uh, postcards with uh, a poem from his father-in-law and send them to his clients saying, hey, you know, the, the season's going to start. Don't forget to book. So he, <laughs> this was back in the, in the yeah, 30s and 40s, I guess. Uh, and uh, Dave Leonard gave us one of those cards. John, it's in the museum somewhere now. But uh, we, we need to take a picture of that, Glenn, and put it up on the website. That'd be great. Uh, let's find that and put it up. That'd be fun. Yep, we'll do that. We'll do that. Dave, Dave Leonard helps out with the fly fishing school, uh, the TU school. He's he's a great uh, caster, a great teacher, and so is uh, Bruce Richards. You mentioned him early as as your mentor. Uh, yeah. Bruce came to our museum one year, probably back in the beginning, probably 2004 or so, uh, as a casting instructor, just to kind of show people how to how to do it. And uh, he he just absolutely amazing. He. There was a post in the uh, grounds at the township hall, and uh, somebody asked about how do you fish behind something, and uh, Bruce Richards threw threw a cast and put a little loop in the cast uh, (laughs) during the flight, and the doggone loop went right over the post, and the line went behind the post. And uh, his father was there, uh, Bruce Richards' father, and he watched that, and and he said loud enough for everybody to hear, "Ah, oh, you were just lucky with that one, Bruce." <laughs> but, yeah, uh, that, that luck came with with thousands and thousands of hours of of training and casting. <laughs> absolutely, I think yeah, he could write your name uh, in in script with that fly line yeah. if, if he wanted to. He's just an amazing he, caster and yeah. a fine man and wonderful man too. He's an amazing man. We fished together. We've um, quite a bit of time together and his ability to teach is you know unparalleled in my experience i mean he's amazing and his ability to teach teachers like me has been just amazing 
Oh gosh. So, you know, yeah. on, the, on the teaching note, I, I just want to, I'm, I'm talking too much, John, but I just wanted to share one story with, with Dave, uh, the uh, TU Fly Fishing School. Every every time I go out, hell, I'm 78 years old. Every time we, we have a session, I learn something. And I think it was uh, last year, somebody was trying to explain the, the cast to a student or a, a couple of two or three of them. And uh, he, he said, do you know what an igloo looks like? And they all said, yes, we know what an igloo looks like. And they said, how would you, he said, how would you paint the, in the ceiling of an igloo? And, of course, they've got their hand, and they make a great big arc in the, in the air. And he says, okay, that's the last time I ever want to see you painting the ceiling of an igloo. Now, now how do you paint the underside of a porch? And right. And go back and forth. He says, okay, now from now on, you're painting the underside of a porch. Never again am I going to see you paint an igloo, right? And they all go, right. And I thought, gosh, that's very descriptive. It's uh, it, it's it's fun all the different analogies that you can use. Um, one thing that uh, that I was going to share with you that it's just it just occurred to me to start doing it is a few years ago. Uh, if you go to medical school, they when they're teaching your procedure, they have this watch one, do one, teach one. Mm-hmm. And what I've found Navy is surgery. I, <laughs> yeah. Well, I found that if I have a group of students, let's say I've got six or eight students. And I get out there and I demonstrate, you know, loop formation, where the rod tip needs to travel, all of it. Okay, so now they've watched one. And then what I do is I'll get them all out. Now they're going to do one. So they're starting to see, they saw me, now they're starting to see what it's going to take to make a tight loop and stop the rod where it needs to stop. But what really cements it is I'll pull one of those six or seven out and have that person casting and all the other students are watching. And then what I make them do um, is I make them go out individually and make corrections in her cast or his or his cast. So uh-huh. now they've watched one, they've done done one, now they've taught one. So it, good, it, good. what I've found is that it it speeds up the speeds up the uh, the process it, exponentially. I mean, I at people where it would take me an hour to get people doing what they needed to do before, literally we can be done and have them with tight loops in you know 15, 20 minutes. Nice for the most nice part. Thought. For the most part. Yeah. <clears throat> Good, good trick. It's a very effective learning methodology. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it works. It works. Well, Dave, this is terrific. This this whole session this year is all about uh, river guides and their stories. And I'm just wondering if you might have another story or two about uh, um, with uh, a story with clients on the river or. <laughs> Upward. <laughs> Okay. Well, Glenn and I, Glenn and I were just talking, Dave, and it, for some reason, I want to say that i had done so a little bit of internet surfing, but did did you have family ties to the to the Glen Arbor area? Yeah, my um, my great 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 grandfather and grandmother founded Glen Arbor. Founded um, it. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. The Fisher oh, family. Gosh. Um, yeah, that's from on my mom's side. So we, uh, the family, uh, the, it was uh, John Fisher, John LaRue, and I'll think of the last one, the three Johns, but my grandfather and grandmother um, founded it, named, named it Glen Lake, named it Little Fisher Lake, Big Fisher Lake, and then they um, they built a, they have a grist mill, and they had also had a, a lumber mill, actually two of them on the Crystal River. So, oh, my. Yeah, we have a lot of family history there. Oh wow! That's that's awesome. Yeah, it's one of our favorite places to visit. 
Yeah. It's beautiful. That's beautiful country. It is. Did, did you fish the Platte River at all when you were over in that area? Yeah, fished the Platte quite a bit. I still do. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Up high, depending on what time of year, what we're doing. Um, sure. sure. Yeah. So that's, that's the first river I ever saw a steelhead on. A friend of mine brought me over from Michigan, and uh, we camped on the Platte and uh, never caught one, but somebody next to us had a big steelhead in a cooler, and I'd never seen a trout that big in my life, and I thought, my God, I can't believe those things grow here. It's fantastic. <laughs> they are fun. They are fun. So, well, John, so Dave, uh, Dave just, may, go ahead, John. Yeah, I was just going to say to kind of cycle back um, uh, before we took our little break there, uh, perhaps a story or two, uh, trout fishing on the Athabal or anything memorable? Hmm. Lots of or especially forgettable. <laughs> um, well, a couple of years ago, I had a 92 or 93 year old gentleman and his son in my boat, and we were going down oh, the God. North Branch. And all of a sudden, I'm looking, and his father's in the very front of the longboat, and off he goes, goes right over the side, out cold. And so I jumped, jumped out of the boat, got a hold of him, got him in my boat. Of course, he immediately got sick and was pasty gray and the boat was relatively new and i'm like this is going to be terrible if he dies in my boat he's gonna he's gonna jinx it anyway we got him in the boat and um i tried to get a little bit of water in him and i pulled underneath a a big cedar along the river to get in the shade because i thought he sure looked dehydrated to me and um the son was like i gotta call i gotta call my doctor and i'm like well where's your doctor he goes the doc my doctor's in dc and i'm like what he goes, yeah, my doctor's in D.C. I'm like, well, why do you need it? I mean, there's really nothing we can do. He goes, I got to call him. So I pulled the boat down as fast as I could and got to an area where we got some cell coverage. And he called this doctor, got his secretary, and she said, well, he's, he's, he's with somebody right now. Let, him, let me have you call him. Or he'll call you right back. So the phone's with me, and the son is with his father on the boat. Well, the phone rings. Of course, I picked it up and answered it. And uh, it was this doctor. And so I'm talking to him. He's like, does he, you know, how's his pulse? I said, well, he has one. (laughs) Um, And I said, he's great. I said, I think he's dehydrated. So we went through this for two or three minutes on the phone. And then I handed the phone off to the son. Long story short, we got the uh, old man off the river and um, the son and I uh, continued down. We got the old man. um, uh, Actually, Richard Perry came and got him um, in, in his vehicle and the son there coming down and, he said, he said to me, he goes, you know who my doctor is? I said, no. He goes, do you know who you were talking to? I said, no. He goes, uh, that was the U.S. Surgeon General. <laughs> so my I thought God. that was really. <laughs> Tri- triage from the top office. <laughs> yes, yes, which uh, which I thought was hysterical. So um, U.S. Yeah. Surgeon General. <laughs> yes, oh, God. that was the U.S. Surgeon General. <laughs> so, yeah, you see. See a little bit everything from thunderstorms and lightning to tornadoes to you know eventually you're going to see you can't believe what you can see on the river with people and it's just amazing uh-huh so is there is um, there a particular hatch that you like dave uh you know what or, i love or do you like them all or <laughs> i i like i like i i pretty much like them all i like to i would like to watch the transitions i like to watch all that stuff um from one hatch to the next. Um, obviously, hex is a big one. 
but I like brown drakes and I also one of my favorites and I know this is Glenn's as well is I like to uh, fish trichos. Oh, you so bet much you. fun! Oh, I so much fun! Too. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So, yeah, I yeah, there's been uh, all kinds of things have happened over the years. Well, what a treat it is to have Dave McCool on, John. This is uh, I think our uh, our followers are going to enjoy this one very very much, Dave. Um, Good. And uh, I want to thank you from the Historical Society. Uh, if we were in person, we'd give you a pin for the year and uh, maybe a lifetime membership. Uh, and uh, we just, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted to learn more about the Golden Bones, and uh, I hope I can figure out how to get on your calendar. Uh, that was good all year long from once it starts. No, we're, day, or, basically the end of the month will be done. The um, end of June? Yeah, the end of June, the first part. Usually about the first week of July it's, it's over with. But having said that, it's been so difficult because the water's been so high mm-hmm. that it's affected the fishery. The fish are staying out, tending to stay out a little bit deeper. So I've got to really, I got to really pick my days and know what the fish are doing to make it work. But we can probably figure something out. Well, okay, but nice. the best time would be what? Uh, early May through through June. Early May through June. Early May through June would be the best time. Yes. Okay. Very nice. Well, Dave, okay. what a Excellent. treat. Well, thank you, guys. That was great. Well, we enjoyed well, the heck Dave, out of it. can't thank you enough, and uh, look forward to meeting you. Uh, uh, you know, as things hopefully continue to improve and uh, we'll work our way back to some kind of normal, uh, look forward to seeing you and shaking your hand, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a great day, guys. Yep. Thanks, Dave. Be well, sir. Golden bonefish. Huh. Who knew? Pretty cool stuff. So uh, definitely, I think we may have to try that one out. Um, Anyhow, uh, thank you so much for tuning in as always. Uh, We're grateful for our listenership, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, speaking with you again next week. Until then, mind your back, cast.